Well, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day that you have given us. Thank you for your extravagant love poured upon us at the cross of Calvary, demonstrated at the cross of Calvary in such a wonderful way. We just thank you for your love and your mercy. And we just pray that this morning you'll be here in our midst and that as we look into your word, you'll break the bread of life to our hearts, that we will receive it and that we will allow it to change us where we need to be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in the book of Acts, looking at the word of his power and the power of his word. And see here in the beginning of the very first few chapters how the word continued, as it was in Jesus' life, continued to bring division. Some believe and some don't believe. So we're, we've seen we've seen through Jesus' life that the word what he, the word that he taught the words that he said some were able to believe and others did not and now here in the book of Acts after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the words that the apostles speak and preach and teach we see the same same thing some believe some don't believe we see it in our world the word has gone out our our culture here in this country has had an extravagant abundance of the Word of God, I want to say. So much to such an extent that now it's disregarded. Used to be held in high esteem. But unfortunately, today the Word of God is under attack and people don't regard it as a standard to live by, even in the Christian, even in the Christian realm. And so we need to re, uh, re, refire, <laughs> refire that part of what we know. We know that the Word of God is truth. And we know that it's what God has given us to walk by and to live by. And there's so many people and we need to be careful. I say this humbly because it's so easy to know about the Word. It's so different to live and allow the Word to be lived in and through us and to change our daily living. And it's, you know, it's an ongoing process and learning experience. We don't just all of a sudden just get it and like, okay, now I'm good to go. <laughs> It's a constant humbling ourselves, bowing before God's Word, saying, Lord, teach me, show me how to apply this, and walking in it daily, in the dailiness. You know, that's the part that, that our human nature just doesn't like. We want things instantly, and we live in a society, again, I have to say that our society is extreme in its desire for instant gratification. If you can't get it now, and if somebody doesn't service you instantly, you know, you won't go back again, and you won't, that they're, they're no good, and, and if you can't have, you know, instant coffee, instant potatoes, instant, whatever you want to fill in the blank with. Why do fast food restaurants do so well? Because you can pull up to the window, place your order, and drive away with food in your hand. It's fast. We lit our, everything in our society is geared for instant 
results. And if you don't measure up to that standard, you're pretty much in business. You don't make it. And so, unfortunately, this has crept in to our mentality when it comes to prayer and to walking with God and to our spiritual development. We expect that, huh, you know, why didn't you do that already? And where are you? And we, we have this mentality of God as being like Santa Claus or Superman. Where, you know, we give him our list and, you know, in a couple of days it's all wrapped up under our tree, right, waiting, waiting for us to open and unwrap. Or Superman, like, gonna come flying through the window and zap the problem out of existence. And neither one of those concepts fits God, if you find out who he is. And as we look at God and who he is and his word, we see that he's not in a hurry. And he doesn't work on our timetable. He's He lives in eternity where there's no beginning and there's no end. And he's constantly aware of the big picture. And he's deliberate. And he's detail-oriented. So we see that, you know, that God is deliberate. He takes his time. When When Adam and Eve messed up in the garden and disobeyed him, he promised them a redeemer. When Eve gave birth to um, Cain and Abel, she she was pretty sure that they were going to be the redeemer. <laughs> but they weren't. And it took a long, long time. God wasn't in a hurry, was he? He was setting the stage. He revealed himself little by little to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then 400 years later, they were, there were, they were slaves in Egypt and he delivered them with a mighty hand to started to show and reveal what a powerful God he was and took them out into a wet, barren wilderness where, um, we we're just talking to, uh, Bishop Gurley this weekend, a couple days ago, and he was, he's been in that wilderness and he said, you know, you could understand why they were murmuring and complaining and how hard it would be to exist in that kind of, of situation. And so they, you know, God took them out there and to show that he was a God who could provide in the worst of circumstances. They were, there were a lot of them and there were no Walmarts and there were no um, clothing stores and there were no uh, fast food restaurants. And God wanted to show, he was trying to reveal to the world that he was a mighty God and a marvelous provider and a God of, of the miraculous. And he was setting the stage. And as he, as he revealed to them the plan for the tabernacle, it, it had the whole redemption story in it. It pointed to Jesus, every part of it, the color of the threads, the size of the, of the carvings on the posts and, and, and the, every detail he was detail-oriented. He took his time. He was a God of order, divine order, as we've expressed before. And he wanted to reveal his heart of love and one step after another. And so how do we get that into a world? How, how do we absorb that? We are so... Now, 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 now. I want it now. And if it didn't happen now, something's wrong. And yet, when we come to God, we have this amazing 
God who loves us, who's, who's moved, literally moved heaven and earth, that we might come into relationship, vital living relationship with himself. And so we have to, somewhere along the line, lose our hurry-up mentality and say, okay, God, I place myself before you. I trust you. And I know that you will do the best in, in regards to me, my life, the things that concern me. And actually, the sooner we get that, the easier it is to live. <laughs> and we just need to understand that God is a God of that takes his time and is deliberate and that he's not forgetful of us. He cares intimately about the details of our life and all that concerns us. And probably more than we do. And, you know, we, we have a hard time believing that sometimes. But it's the truth. And so we need to take time. We need to take time to learn who God is and absorb the truth of his word. That's what I was starting to say is that it doesn't happen all the time instantaneously. Now, sometimes there's moments, there's great light bulb moments, right, where God connects the dots for us and it's a revelation. And that's good because we could, we would never make it without without those moments in our life. We need those, but then we need to allow them into our living and allow God to show us how to walk in it, how to walk in the truth. It's an ongoing process until we get to the end of our life and the beginning of that life. <clears throat> and so we don't want to grow weary. That's why it says that. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Don't quit before you get to the end because we have a good God. We have a faithful God. So don't throw in the towel and say, oh, forget it. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe it never will. No, that's the enemy. The enemy is always working against us to try and get us to quit because he knows how impatient we are and how now, where do you think all of that pressure in the world comes from that it has to be now? Because the enemy knows if he can get you like, get that into your spiritual realm, then you'll be frustrated with God. And it's what he's trying to do. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy all of your spiritual life and all that is good and godly. And so we have to be wise. And we need to take our time and let God's word fill our hearts and lives, be absorbed by God's word so that we can live it out. So we've been looking into the Word of God and seeing how His Word has such an effect, you know. And again, our words have an effect, and I'll say it again. We create by our words, yeah, our tomorrows. (laughs) We speak continually. We're constantly complaining. We're reaping a harvest of ugliness. Um, If we're constantly praising God and thanking Him for His blessings, we're actually creating the atmosphere for God's favor and blessing and abundance. And it's just that simple. and We have to understand it because it's so easy for the words of our mouth to be what, what, what we don't want them to be. And again, this is not something that we learn once and say, okay, I'm done, you know, I got that lesson, I'm, I'm finished, I got an A. Now we'll move on to something else. This is something that we have to kind of be on guard all the time. We have to be listening, paying attention. 
to our own heart. You know, it's again, it's so easy to hear and see things in other people and not see it in ourselves. And we need to listen to what's coming out of our mouths and say, Lord, help me. Lord, stop me. Check me. Help me to recognize and help me to speak your truth over my life. And that's the other benefit of knowing God's word and letting it absorb us, is then when we struggling with something, there's the word, the word. We've, we've talked the word. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. What does that mean? That means I've, I've packed the word of God in like into a suitcase, really, you know, really packed it in there. You know, ever pack a suitcase, really, really pack it in so that I can just barely get it closed? Well, that's what we want to do with the word of God. We want to pack it in, pack it in, pack it in, pack it in, so that when we're in a time of crisis or struggle or difficulty, whoa, there's the word of God. And it can be, the Holy Spirit can bring it up and we can apply it to our living instead of, Moaning and groaning and thinking the worst and and repeating over and over and over and over all the things that well, that's what the devil wants us to do because as we repeat all the, the 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 trauma and destruction and not that sometimes we need to talk about it you understand what I'm saying here but the enemy uses uses that against us to try and keep us living in it and so that's where packing in the word of God packing it in. There's something to come up and out, and it changes the daily existence that we live in. And so, praise God. Let's continue to love his word and have a passion for it. We come to chapter 8 today in the book of Acts. And chapter 8, they had just killed Stephen because of his words. And I want to tell you that there are lots of people, lots and lots and lots of people in the world today, not so much in America yet, but it's coming. There are lots and lots of people that are being killed because of the word and because they love the Lord. There are people in other countries that are just being killed because they are Christian. And it's coming here too. It is. And we have to know where we stand and who we believe in. Judgment is coming. When you look at our world, there's no way you could say that anything else. Judgment is coming. And so here we see that they had just martyred Stephen, and they buried him. And as for Saul, he started to make havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Terrorism. It was what we would consider terrorism in the highest form. Going to people's houses, dragging them out of their houses, putting them in prison, and, and having them killed. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So it caused, wherever Saul was, they scattered out. <laughs> and the Christians scattered, and it, what happened? The word started to spread, because where they went, they shared the word. And so the word spread. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now Samaria, you remember, was not a well-liked community by the Jewish establishment. They were hated. Samaritans were fiercely hated by the Jews because they were a mixture in their breeding back 
ways, and and they just hated the Samaritan. They just hated prejudice. We've talked about this before too. Uh, prejudice is not. Uh, we don't have a corner on the market of it. It was <laughs> since the beginning of time. And people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. Many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. There was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out himself that he was some great one. Here we go. Same same conflict in our world. There's the voices of Satan and the voices of evil spirits. And there's the voice of God. And for us to know the difference is what we need to do. We need to know the difference. Because he comes as an as a angel of light, Satan, to try and deceive even the elect. And we need to be careful who we listen to. We need to be careful who we subject our spirits to. I cannot say it to us strong enough. There are many in Christendom that are angels, demons in in angels' garb. (laughs) There are many. Unfortunately, I don't say that with pleasure. Unfortunately, and we just need to be careful. To whom they all gave heed from, look at this whole city was wrapped up in listening to this voice because, again, you know, once Satan gets your ear, gets you listening, you have a hard time figuring it out. They all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Look at who they were attributing his power to. They were attributing that power to God. And I, I've heard people tell me that, that God, God told them this, that, and the other thing, and I'm here to tell you it wasn't God. And to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles heard that Samaria had received the word of God, that's our focus, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet it was fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered the money. Here comes the mixture. He had believed, but he was so steeped in all he had known saying, Give me this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, I may receive the Holy Spirit. Believing that it was just like one of his incantations. <laughs> to, and all the, the stuff he had been operating in. Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then Simon answered, Pray to you to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. 
And when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So, you know, here we see immediately, you know, here, this is a brand new church, isn't it? It's the, it's the, it's the church in the book of Acts, which we all, you know, talk about as being, you know, so wonderful. But they had, they had all kind of stuff going on, didn't they? <laughs> Here's, <laughs> Here's Philip dealing with spiritual enemies right away. We just see here that what Peter says is repent. And we live in a world that's not familiar with the concept of repentance. And when we come to the Lord, we need to grasp hold of what it means to repent and to turn. Repentance doesn't mean just saying, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Although that may be part of it. But repentance is turning. We're going, going this direction. And we say, oh, this is wrong. I need to stop. I need to turn. I need to go this way. It's a complete change. Repentance is not just crocodile tears and making everybody feel good. This is what Unfortunately, repentance means in our world. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And oh, that's okay, don't worry about a thing. That's not what repentance is in the Word of God. It's turning from serving idols and from serving sin and from a sinful lifestyle. It's turning to following righteousness and living righteously. No, we can't live righteously without the power of the Holy Spirit, but we can with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it needs to change our living. It needs to change our living. And repentance is something that we should never step away from. We should always want to repent. Because as Pastor says, there's a, it's a doorway to God's blessing. It brings us into a whole new place that we would never be without repenting. And so we don't ever have to be hesitant or embarrassed or reticent to repent. Yes, yes, Lord, I'll repent. I repent of my sin. I don't want to sin. I don't want to live in sinfulness because sinfulness separates me from you. Show me my sinfulness. I want to repent and turn and walk of ways of rightness with my God, humbly with my God. That we sin is no surprise, but that we hate, we need to hate sin like God hates sin. It says God is angry with the wicked every day. God hates sin all, at all, every, at every level. This world makes it, you know, this is not such a big sin. This is the little sin. This is a big sin. You know, that's just not in God's sight. Sin is sin. One sin will keep us out of heaven. And so we have to hate sin. We have to hate sin. He's not willing that any perish, but that all come to, what is that word? All come to repentance. And what is repentance? Not just crocodile tears, but turning to walk in righteousness. And so may God help us that even as we speak with others, that we're able to explain what it means to walk with God. That it is a lifestyle change. And that it is a way of, of right, right living and right walking. And do we do it perfectly? No, of course not. But we we strive, we strive, we, we strive towards that mark 
for the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Philip's having this great revival. Miracles are happening. All kinds of stuff is good stuff is going on. The whole city's full of joy. And what happens? The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. Now imagine that. He could have said, you know, he could have reasoned with, with the angel. Now wait a minute. Having a great revival here. Souls are getting saved. Miracles are taking place. You sure, like, you want me to leave? You know, that's where, you know, again, we have to lay down our reasoning. And we have to be obedient, learn to be obedient servants to our Lord and Master. He is the Master. He's God. It doesn't always make sense. This didn't make really human sense for him to leave this great revival and campaign, whatever you want to call it. Didn't make human sense. But God had a purpose in it, didn't he? And he throws and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. So Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said to him, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand it except someone that explains it? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray, who was he speaking of? Of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Where did he get that from? How could he do that? How did he know? Do you remember after the resurrection when Jesus spent time with the disciples? He explained to them the scriptures beginning at, remember? Remember that passage? He had connected the dots. Remember how I told that to you? He had connected the dots for them, explaining the scriptures to them, how they how they applied to him and what they meant. And so here, when this man has this question about where he's reading and what does it mean, Philip has the answer. And that's how God wants us to be. That's why it's so important to pack in the word of God and to understand it and to embrace it and study it and apply it because late, there's going to come a point where we're going to have that divine appointment where, where there's going to be someone that needs that question answered. And if there's nothing stored up and there's no application, if we're, if we're not, if we're not packing in God's word, we're not going to have the answer to give when the, in the time when it's needed. And here Philip had the answer, didn't he? So may we have, he speaks to him words of life. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. The eunuch said to him, here's water. What, sh- what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with your heart, you may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. (laughs) Whisked away. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Wow, we see the power of the Holy Spirit, not limited by the the constraints of humanness, but using Philip in in wonderful and powerful ways. In a great campaign in Samaria, but there was a eunuch in the desert who needed to hear the word of God, and he was obedient. And so here we see how God values people. Our world is constantly devaluing life. We're going to talk about that more today because today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. But our world is constantly and more and more devaluing life because God values it and honors it. He valued it so much that he allowed his son to come and pay the redemption price so that we could be in relationship with him. And so... You know, we need to get God's God's perspective on things, don't we? He valued the life of that eunuch so much that it was worth removing Philip from that great campaign and allowing him that interaction with that man whose heart was hungry. And you know, this is another piece that we always can rest on. People say, well, what about somebody out in the jungle who never heard a word? Wherever there's a heart that's hungry for God, God finds a way to get his word through to that hungry heart. And so we can rest in that because God is not a respecter of persons or places. And he's not limited by jungles or rainforests or, or any, anything on this earth. He can, he can get his word through, uh, irregardless. And so we can rest in that. And so yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus. And here we see, we're coming to the story of Saul and how, again, reminding that he was doing, wrecking havoc amongst the Christians. And now he wanted to go to Damascus and do some more damage. (laughs) And as he's on his way to Damascus, suddenly... He's confronted by the Lord. The Lord speaks to him. A great light shines and a voice is heard saying to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the city and it will be told you what you should do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So here we have this story of the conversion of Saul. And here we see, you know, he was a man who was very learned. He had, he knew 
he, he knew the Old Testament. He had studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a scholar, great, well-known scholar in that time. And he thought he was working for God by killing all these people who, who were talking about Jesus. He thought he was serving God. And we have that too in our, in our world, don't we? We have, we have the, the Muslim persuasion that believes that by killing Christians, they're, they're serving God. And their purpose is to take over the world and, and get rid of all Christians. And they're doing it in, in a lot, a lot of areas of the world. And, um, so here we see this was Paul's, this was Saul's heart. He felt he was working for God. And he was he was doing what what he was supposed to do. He was getting rid of these people talking about Jesus. And here the Lord stops him on the way to Damascus. What a, a what a conversion, huh? Here we see that it was without somebody coming to him, right? You know, in the in the previous chapter we saw Philip was sent to the man. Here God just speaks right out of heaven. Now we don't hear about too many people getting saved this way. But I guess in this case, it was what was needed. And God does know, doesn't he? He will. I mean, if that's what's needed, God will. We see, again, you cannot put God in a box. And you cannot say, you got to do it this way, you got to do it that way, you got to do it the other way. you got to allow God to... God God is God, and he, he can do it however he wants. And so he speaks to him. He He's not able to see for a couple of days. And he has time to ponder that God, that this voice said to him, I am Jesus who you persecute. What are you doing? It's even hard for you to do this. Why? What are you doing? You need to stop. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord, now you have to understand, people in Damascus had heard Saul was coming. Let me tell you. They were locked and down and bolted up. <laughs> All right, they were hiding. They were praying. They were having prayer meetings. They were they were praying like they had never prayed before. <laughs> Let me tell you, okay. And the Lord said to him, "Arise and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for he's praying." And I seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. So Ananias says to the Lord, um, excuse me, <clears throat> I've heard by many that this man, uh, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. Um, Lord, are, are, are you sure uh, that, that that's where you want me to go? Does it sound like <laughs> something we might say? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Here they are praying and, and hiding and and... And there, and here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on your name. Lord, don't you understand here? This guy is dangerous. You're telling, you, you want me to go to him? Are you sure we're talking about the same, same guy here, Lord? Uh, let's check this out. The Lord says to him, go your way. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings of the, ch- and, and the children of Israel. For I will show him, look at this, oh, how we do not like this verse. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, now if someone is telling us, oh, you're going to be blessed and you're going to be, oh, 
great, you have great TV ministry and everybody's going to bow down and worship you at the sound of the flute and the sackbut, you know, the whole nine yards. Well, then we get excited. But if the word of the Lord comes to us from somebody and says, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake, uh, we'd probably be rebuking that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> the gospel's not convenient. The gospel is not for our comfort. The gospel brings division and brings often death. I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So here we see Ananias went his way and he was obedient. God to give him a lot of credit. Okay, when God spoke to him and he was sure that God was telling him what God was telling him was really from God, he went and he did it to his credit, to his credit. And laying his hands on him, he calls him a brother. Now think about this. This is something that we have got to get. Is Matter of fact, it spoke to me a number of years ago. I think it was when they were hunting for one of those guys, Saddam, Saddam Hussein, I think. You know, terrorist, have I prayed for him? Have I prayed that God would send someone to him with the gospel? Are, are we praying for the terrorists? Are we praying that somehow God will get through to their hearts? You know, mostly, you know, of course, we're outraged, we're horrified, we're, oh, you know, he deserves, he deserves life, he deserves death, whatever. Um, but, but what about prayer? What about prayer? And say, God, get through. You know, if a, if a, if a man like this gets saved and gets on fire and gets zealous, what happens? <laughs> this is what happens. The apostle Paul was a zealot. And when God got a hold of his heart, instead of him killing Christians and damaging the whole kingdom of heaven, he went around and, and was a fearless witness and, and many people heard the gospel because he was fearless. The, the energy and the passion that he had poured into killing Christians, he was now pouring into getting Christians saved and pulling them into the kingdom of heaven. Wonderful. And so our prayers for a man who's <clears throat> under the control of Satan and doing damage to, to God's people can sometimes turn the whole situation around. And so should encourage us to be prayerful. Pastor and I met a man who, who was a Christian who had been one of uh, Saddam's advisors. And he had been right by his side. And so, you know, God, God gives these men opportunity for sure. He's not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. And so now Ananias prays for him, calls him Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto you in the way as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales and received sight and arose and was baptized. And he was strengthened and straightway, he, right away he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And of course the people were amazed. I mean, come on, here's the guy who was... One day, putting people in prison for the gospel, and the next day, preaching it. <laughs> God love that. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's our God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is such a guide and instruction to our living. May we 
pack it in. May we embrace it. May we learn your word. May we know your word. May we share your word in truth, Lord. May we live your word. Help us, Lord, to ever be obedient servants and never afraid to repent and turn and walk in ways of rightness for your name's sake. Amen.